Welcome to Tech Marketer Live, helping you create and capture demand in the enterprise technology market. Now here's your host, Jordy Carswell. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Tech Marketer Live. Uh, Jordy Carswell, your host here, and I'm excited to be joined today by Gianna Whitfer, uh, a co-founder of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. Uh, we're big fans here at Actual Tech of the of the society and everything you're doing there. But we wanted to introduce you to our audience and our clients and maybe have you share a little bit about what you are doing now with the society, how it's you know, gone for you from a career trajectory standpoint and how they can think outside the box in their careers and look at, um, you know, the, the nuances of cybersecurity marketing and why this is such a great niche and all this kind of good stuff. So welcome Gianna. Thank you, Jordy. I'm so excited to be here. So honored to be on your show. Yeah, we're just getting started, but it's been exciting to have different guests from widely different backgrounds come on and, and, help us understand the the nuances of tech marketing. So tell us a little bit about your background, if you could. Sure. So my background is mainly in marketing and startups. Um, up until January of this year, I was VP of marketing at a cybersecurity company called Votero, which is in the content disarm and reconstruction space. Um, you know, in short, that's uh, removing and preventing malware in files before they enter organizations. Before that, I worked at another cybersecurity company uh, on the marketing team, a threat intelligence company. And before that, I was working in marketing and being an all-hands sort of person at a very small three-person commercial real estate startup uh, in, in Florida. So... Uh, I've been doing, and before that I had other marketing roles and I've always done freelance work as well. So I've had a variety of industries I've been exposed to. And currently my entire focus is on the fun, crazy, constantly changing industry of cybersecurity. Awesome. Well, you're certainly well known there and, and we're lucky to have you here. I, I think, so what is your specialty? Is it demand generation? Is it brand? What, is, what do you sort of consider yourself a specialist in? Yeah. So as, as you'll hear from other marketers who work in startups, I am a generalist, <laughs> but my special, but if you did have to pull a specialty out of that, I would say demand generation is my bread and butter of what I've done at, uh, at the cybersecurity companies. Right. And so when you have come into cybersecurity companies, where were they in their growth cycle usually? Yes. Usually series A stage, uh, is where I've been coming in. Um, you know, have a little funding, have a little team in trying to scale up. Right. And like, so when you come in, how many, like, let's say at Votero, how big would your team have been that you got to work with? Oh yeah. That changed over time <laughs> and the team is larger now. They've, they've, been, they have a new VP of marketing who is absolutely amazing. Um, when I started, it was a team of two. So it was actually my previous VP of marketing. I joined as a consultant to start. I actually joined, um, not as a full-time employee and I worked for the VP of marketing. So our team was one and a half is what you'd say it is on the marketing side. Right on. And then it so, grew over time. It grew to about three people before I left. Okay. Interesting. So mm -hmm. where do you, I'm curious on this now, because there are some clients that, uh, that we have that people have come into their roles where the teams were very small and they had to figure out where they were going to prioritize first. Uh, how did you approach that when you came into your new roles? It starts with the assets of the company, right? Because my honest opinion is that sure there's, you know, best practices and guidelines and things in every category of marketing um, for any sort of activity you want to do. But before you do anything, you have to look at the strategy and you have to look at your company's assets. So I'm saying all this to say that there is no defined playbook. There's playbooks, but there's no defined playbook. Every company has its own nuances. So to start in terms of where can you put the most effort in the best way possible and get the best bang for your buck, look at your own company and see what you have. Uh, do you have content? Do you have people who are willing to speak to the media? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have uh, founders and technical folks who hide from the camera. In that mm -hmm. case, 
creating um, influencer marketing campaigns around your founder might be tough to do. <laughs> do you have a product? Do you have a product that is, at, you know, at a stage where you could show it to people? Um, if the answer is no, then it'll be tough to, to do, uh, you know, demo videos and things of that nature. So it all depends on where you start. Um, and it all depends on what your company has from it. And, and it's an annoying answer. I know it's the, it depends answer, but that that's truly like what I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. I think you could pull from that an audit, right? An audit what you have yeah. is a good mm -hmm. first step, right? What do we got out there? Let's pull it all together. Let's see where the strengths and weaknesses are of, of the content or the assets that we have, the personalities mm -hmm. we have. Yeah. I think that's a, a great place to start. And then true, yeah. like your point about, about, uh, where the product is at. If you're not at a position in a place yet, product wise, where you're ready to do lead gen, then yeah. you know you need to wait. Do you have a sales team? Can you sell the? Can, is the product must it have a sales team and salespeople to sell it? Does it sell via credit card? There are security products. It, security is sold in a lot of ways, mainly through like a traditional enterprise go to market motion with. Uh, no pricing page and uh, mm -hmm. salespeople, heavy sales activ activities. But there's also security companies that are popping up, especially in the DevSecOps space where you can swipe a credit card. And that'll be different. So in that case, it'll be different what you do based on, you know, even how you sell your product or how you can sell your product. So um, do you have sales? Do you have a way to get your product into the hand of customers? That also matters. Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, when it comes to, you know, the readiness of the product to sell, part of it is sales cycle. Like how long were the sales cycles that you were working with, like say at your last company typically, if you're able to speak? Yeah, so I have only worked at companies with, I'm not going to say this exact specifics, but it's not like you get, it's the the security products that I have worked on. It's not like you have a meeting and then, you immediately have a sale, right? It's not like yeah. first touch to sell right away. It's it's the whole enterprise motion. It's okay, mm -hmm. uh, first uh, book a meeting, uh, have that discovery call, or depending on who you're talking to, skip right to an AE and an SE to show the technical product. We're selling technical products. We're not selling jam and honey, um, yeah. which sounds fun, honestly. Maybe I should try that next. Um, and then there's the POC. Because also these companies I've worked at had enterprise uh, customers. We were selling to the enterprise. So then when you're putting in a security product into a highly technical environment, everyone wants to make sure it doesn't break things before they buy it. So uh, I, would, I would say a long, longer sales process, longer sales cycle. Yeah. And so for you as a marketer, that meant that I mean, it just requires a ton of patience to see things yes. circulate and succeed. Mm -hmm. It requires a ton of patience. It requires a ton of touch points with customers. It, it takes a long time uh, to get from a demo to a closed one. And in that environment, you have to be patient. And sometimes it's even hard to like keep, you know, it, sometimes the, it keeps, it's hard to, to think of new things to do because as a marketer, you want to nurture your prospects and your leads and, you know, your book demo opportunities. You want to nurture them alongside sales. So it creates um, more opportunity for content, but sometimes you have to like dig in the well of ideas on what to do next. <laughs> yeah. And when you started going to market, like when it was time to turn up the, you know, turn on the jets and get things going. Yeah. What channels were your favorites? Mm. When I was at Vitero, I loved a good webinar. I loved a good webinar. We did phenomenal on webinars, especially, and I was there during COVID. So that was a fun time too. That was like, yeah. I actually joined, I think like the month, like the, like a few months before COVID started taking the reins and becoming a big, um, you know, maelstrom, like a big thing in the U.S. Yeah. So we had a great time doing webinars. Uh, some of it was timing, of course, during the early the early days of COVID um, and the pandemic. There was a lot of 
webinar activity and webinars were viewed as like, all right, well, we can't get together in person. Um, mm -hmm. What can we do? Uh, so some of it was timing because everyone was looking for webinars, but then some of it was also we did. We had some really good content. Other channels. I don't know if this is exactly a channel, but sales enablement, making sure that your sellers are equipped with what they need in order to sell properly. And then also partner marketing and getting together with partners. Uh, partners are a fabulous way to reach your, especially in the enterprise uh, field, are a fabulous way to reach your buyers a little faster and be a little closer to them. So in your case, did, did you have existing turnkey partners who were already working with the company or did you have to go and sort of help drive that? We did have existing partners, not necessarily turnkey because similar to sales enablement, you always have to enable your partners. Um, mm -hmm. And with partners, you're competing almost against the other vendors that work with your partners, right? You have to say, here's why we are you know, going to help you sell more. Here's why we're going to help your customers. Here's how you could sell to your customers. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, if you are, if you're at a startup, you're likely not a platform in security. You're likely, yeah. uh, what's, you know, a point solution. So here's also why your solution fits with other solutions that partners are selling so that they could sell a bigger bundle. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it does. What kind of assets did you have, like sales enablement assets, did you find were essentials when it came to enabling partners? I'm curious about this. Okay. Salespeople love the one pager still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. PDFs for yeah. days. Salespeople yeah. love a one page, like love a one page PDF. Like don't make it three. Like they love a one page PDF. And mm -hmm. um, another thing that we were working on before I left was videos. So short form videos. So it's kind of like if you, if you ever done like a HubSpot course, they have like shorter videos or, you know, an online course or even, um, we can even line this up kind of to the, like, or make an analogy to TikTok, like shorter firm video, video content. Um, mm -hmm. it was, it was nice for uh, partners because they could share it on their social media. Um, and it was, and it was kind of like short form video is cool. And it kind of still is cool on LinkedIn too. So mm -hmm. uh, short form video content. Mm -hmm. And one pagers. Yeah. So I got to say one pagers. One, were those one pagers typically like, like battle cards, like competitive type information yeah, or was, was it? Sorry, go ahead. I can't believe we're talking about one pagers also. I can't. It's I like, it's like the most, um, it's like the most, like <sighs> I'm, I'm getting asked for like a, just, just on one pagers in general, general, this is like a market. This is like true heart to heart marketing marketer talk. Yeah. It's like, okay, we need another one pager for another use case. Cause our existing one pager doesn't work yep. because we want to say something slightly different. So sales has a request in. Or partner, or we want to like make that for partners. So then you tweak it so that it's partner facing instead mm -hmm. of sales facing. Um, so anyway, I'm just on a diatribe now about one pagers, and I completely lost your question. Oh no, I feel you. I, I feel you because it. I mean, then it be and then it becomes like you know, are we going to put pricing on it? You know, can we put you right. know, what like? And then it, oh no, we couldn't possibly put your pricing and all of these discussions that go round and round in circles and right. You know, nothing can be sold until there's a one pager. I've learned that. No, yeah, and it's like it's like it's funny because we're in like 2023, but people still love like a thing that you attach to an email. And it's funny because yep. and maybe it's just like um, there's probably cool solutions out there that I don't know about that take like the one pager to the next level. But really, when you're selling enterprise through partner and through enterprise sales, like people love a leaf behind. They love a leaf behind. Like your sales team yep. will love it. You'd be like, this is the same thing as every other one, except I changed the title. And they're like, that's what I need. And you're like, all right, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I think everybody, every marketer listening is like, I feel that. I have three one-pager yeah. requests already this week. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Jordy, do you and make so a lot of one-pagers? Do you have to make oh, a lot yeah. of sales and enablement content? For sure. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. you know, our team and, and can attest to that, like, and and we even go so far as to write uh, 
sales scripts and, you know, we write, uh, outreach scripts for cold yep. outreach for the team, everything, um, to try and give them every piece of, of help that we can to, yep. for them to go to market because, you know, we want them to feel confident. We want them to speak intelligently about it. And also the more that, that we can cover with them up front, the more that when they go to market, they're selling correctly, right? They're providing accurate information that doesn't lead to headaches later on and so on and so forth. But I have a bit of a founder exactly. skew on that. But mm. yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, you can't get away from it. And auditing what you have and how old it is and whether it's accurate anymore and was it a quarterly promotions and all kinds of yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, and that, because the thing about creating all these documents, which is like, okay, fine, like that's, it helps the process. That's great. Like I will do anything to support, you know, to a certain point to support sales and what they're doing. Right. Uh, but then you have so much material. Oh my gosh. You just have like, yeah. you have like 300 one pagers and you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> how do I update all of this? <laughs> like you said, like, yeah. like God forbid there's like a brand lift, you know, like, or a rebrand ever. Yeah, Cold sweats start then. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I know. We, it really we does. We could actually, we could label this episode one pages and more, <laughs> Jordy and Gianna. But I, think, <laughs> uh, I want to buy onepagers.com. I wonder if it's available. Yeah. I don't know what I do with it, but. Yeah, they can create a swipe file of, of a pile of swipe files of everyone's one pagers and everybody can vote on which one looks cool. <laughs> or has enough. <laughs> Which one has better pictures, diagrams, and so forth? <laughs> Which one has a better Shutterstock image? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've this is completely off topic, but we've started experimenting with AI created images for instead of stock using Midjourney and and but Midjourney really struggles with hands, and so we have really cool photos with people's hands that are just a little bit off. <laughs> you know, like two feet. They have like two fingers and the rest are blended together. But if you don't look close, it's fine. They look really cool. You just like tell Midjourney, like put a vase in front of the person's hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, like let's just, no hand, put it under the table. Yeah. Resting on their lap. Can't see I, it. What do I do with these hands? But yeah, anyway. So yeah, one pagers, you should do them. I think that's the key tech away there. But um. All right, let's move on to something more exciting. So when you uh, started thinking about the cyber, creating the, the Cyber Security Marketing Society, obviously it's a community play. Um, tell us, a, well, why don't we cover what it is? Like help sure. share with us what it is. Sure. The Cyber Security Marketing Society is the best place to be a cybersecurity marketer. We are a community, a, an association, a trade org, and ISAC, if you're in cyber, you'll probably know that term, Information Sharing and Analysis Center. We're an ISAC for marketers in the industry where all cybersecurity marketers can come to help each other, to co-market, and to grow their skills and their careers. And uh, we've been around since March 2020, also the pandemic, like right at that sort of like extreme point. And uh, I'll tell you the backstory and like how how we came to be. So. I was working at that threat intelligence company and I had met uh, my co-founder, Maria Velasquez, who at the time was at a data diode company. Again, if you're in cyber, you might know these terms. And so our companies did not compete, but I was new to cyber and she had had, she had had experience in the industry and joining cybersecurity from another industry. I was, I had experience in B2B tech. I worked at IBM. I had worked with tech companies like, I wasn't, what's, what's a, you know, you know, what's the cloud? I wasn't like that. Right. But cyber was such a different industry. It was absolutely highly technical, constantly, constantly changing, heavily driven by um, threats and threat actors. So what was happening out in the world and current events was heavily uh, affecting of what, of, of cybersecurity companies and cybersecurity buyers. It uh, is heavily venture backed and therefore incredibly competitive and even more competitive because there is about 3,500 plus cybersecurity companies out there in the world today. And I honestly think that's a low number, like a low ball estimate. Mm -hmm. 
On top of that, the security buyer does not like to be sold or marketed to. It is viewed almost as a threat to get, you know, an unknown email from a random person who wants you to click on a link, right? That's not open in the, the MO. One pager. Open yeah, the one pager. Open, open the one pager. It's like, no, I will not. Block, right? They don't pick up phone calls, stuff like that, right? So it's very, very different. And I was like, whoa, because like I joined and it's a threat intelligence company. I'm like, okay, I did a little Googling, but then you like get into what your product does and you're like, whoa, all these like new terms. And so I had met with Maria and she had already been in the industry and we started to share intelligence about the industry with each other. I started being like, hey, what do you think of this event? She'd tell me and she'd be like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'd tell her that. And I'd be like, look at my, can you look at my automation? Is this too many emails for our persona? Things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And in, in late uh, 2019, we were just catching up and like, it was nice. It was like, wasn't it great that we could share things with each other? We weren't competing. We're in the same industry, a humongous industry that, that I was new to. And you were helping, we were helping each other. Why don't we bring more people into this? And that's when we invited 10 friends into in the industry to a Slack channel. And that Slack was the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. And it has grown from those 10 friends and industry colleagues to over 2,400 members at around 800 wow. cybersecurity companies around the globe. Congratulations. That's fantastic. That tells you you. You, had product, you had product market fit there, right? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. We were doing, you know, we were quote unquote doing community in March, 2020. Really. It was like, we want to help people. We want people. We, we, I knew this was a problem for me. And upon talking with other folks, I knew it was a problem for them, like knowledge in the industry. Um, A lot of cybersecurity, again, you know, from a marketing perspective, when you join, there's all these events, there's all these activities, you could do all sorts of things. And it's a bit of a black box as to whether or not any of them will be effective. And so by coming together and sharing and helping, like there's a lot of risks right now, layoffs, helping each other. We're helping marketers both be more successful at their jobs, but, and also successful in their careers. So yeah, awesome. it was, and that was kind of long, yeah, that, but that's the story. Oh, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then, of course, once you have an audience, once you have a community, um, I guess you can start putting together some additional cool stuff for people to do to get together, hey? Yeah. We started, we have been launching things at members' request for, for years now. Uh, one of the very first things we did, which was both for marketing and because we felt you know, there was like a massive gaping hole in the industry, was our, was our uh, conference. So at the time, there was no information about marketing and cybersecurity. Now it's like kind of hot. But at the time, it was like, if you wanted information on like anything in marketing at a cybersecurity company, there was just nothing out there. So we launched in, uh, I think it was September. It was very soon after we first actually launched the Slack. We launched a virtual conference uh, called Cyber Marketing Con and had speakers uh, come and just share share what they were doing at their companies. And this was almost revolutionary because nobody got to see in what other what other cybersecurity companies were doing. And mm. we did that again the next year. And then last year we did our in-person conference for the very first time live in Arlington, Virginia. And then this year we're going to have our conference in Austin, Texas in December. Listeners, book book in your calendar December 10th through 13th. Uh, we're going to have an there. in-person conference. Yeah, Jordy's going to be there. Jordy's going to be speaking. Jordy, what are you going to be speaking about? Uh, We're going to survey actual text audience of CISOs and security folks to ask them a bunch of questions about how they buy stuff, what their priorities are, uh, what they're looking at for the next year. And then we're going to share all that with everybody. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think to, I love the fact that you guys have niched down like this because it's, were you a little bit scared or did you, did you think to yourself, well, I don't know if we've gone broad enough here. Is there enough interest or because it started so organically, it didn't matter. How did you look at it? Yeah. I mean, we, we weren't afraid of the nicheness. I mean, honestly, we went in and the first year, I think we made like a couple thousand dollars from random. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, whoa, like we didn't even That's know this was a business. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty cool. Um, so we didn't go into this 
thinking like, oh, is my TAM big enough, right? You know, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of cybersecurity companies. Many of them are startups. Many of them have one, two, three, four, five person marketing teams. This is not mm-hmm. Uber. This is not venture funded. We, we didn't go raise like a round to do this. So I, we were not afraid at all of of the size of the group. And in fact, we kind of launched it almost as an experiment. Like, hey, we we know we want this, right? We're the customer mm-hmm. here. I want this. Mm-hmm. Gianna wants this. Maria wants this. Our third co-founder, Aileen, wanted this. We wanted this space for us. And it didn't matter um, if it was small of a space because honestly, even it turns out in community, small is pretty cool too. I will also mm-hmm. say we always came to it from the mindset of small than now that I think about it because we always excluded non-marketers. So we didn't let salespeople in and we didn't let in people who were not in the industry. Like from the beginning, we had like a form, you had to apply to join. We made sure that it was intentionally only marketers in cybersecurity. Good for you. I, and I mean, I have personally, you know, we're a vendor in the space, so we're not allowed in. And I have no clue what goes yeah. on in there, but I hear good things. But I think that shows just, you Gianna's protecting your interests. It, uh, yeah, that's inside the Slack community. That's our um, our mission statement is to do right by our members and to do right by cybersecurity marketers. And what we do in the Slack, Jordy, is we post pictures of you. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Mid journey with deformed hands. For- <laughs> Just like ten, like forty fingers. Forty fingers. Seen- I don't want to do a spoiler for any. I don't want to do a spoiler for anybody, but have you seen um, what, oh, the movie that came out that just won the, it came out a few months ago, but it was like so hot. It like incredibly everything, anything, everything, everything all at once. Uh, that one I did not, but were there lots of fingers in it? There is a fingers related thing in that. And that's all I'm going to say, because I don't want to get spoilers. <laughs> it was such a good movie. We'll check it out. I thought you were going to say Barbie, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't think there was fingers related things in Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, okay. But what it might be scary is when you launch a conference and you're on the hook for a hotel bill and you've got yeah. to put this whole deal on. So how did that all go down? Oh yeah. That was, that part was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say that. That was launching. Going from a virtual to an in-person conference is is scary. And our conference is three months away and we have more than 200 people signed up. And I still have like this huge rock of a stress ball in my stomach that's just going to be there until the actual event. <laughs> but no, when we launched last year, sorry? It's going to be great. I can tell already. Oh, thank you. I needed to hear that without me talking over you. <laughs> so last year... Uh, so, so the, so the first year we had, what did we have virtually? We had like 90, a hundred attendees. The second year we had 200 attendees virtual. I was like, that's pretty good. Right. Um, I don't remember how much our membership was, but it was much, much smaller than it was today than it is today. Then last year, when we first went into, uh, originally planning our conference, we thought the same thing. We were like, okay, maybe like, you know, we sat down, we were like, how, many people will come to this. It was in Arlington, Virginia. So it's in a good metro area, right? You could get to it from New York, which is part of the reason we chose it. You get to it from New York, you get to it from Philly, you get to it from DC. It's in like an area where there's a lot of population. And then we looked at the hotels. We also planned it like six months in advance, which is not, it's a little not tight. anything. I don't recommend that to anyone. That was not, you know, we, we did a great job, but that was not guaranteed. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So we, so basically what we did was we said, okay, if 80 people come, 80 people, that'll be a success. And like, we looked at our membership, we probably had around 1200 people at that time in the members. Okay. Can 80 people, which is like a very small percentage of this, like less than 8%, can eight, will 80 people come? And we also asked our members, we were in constant communication, like, would you come to a conference? And a lot of people said, a decent amount of people said yes. And we felt, okay. 80 people. We could do that. And we said a hundred is a stretch goal. And then we just did it. We did it. We of course mitigated our, and, and we ended up getting 218 people to come. 
So we blew it out of the water. Uh, there was not enough chairs. The hotel ran out of rooms, things like that. But when you're also planning your first event, there is some stuff you could do to mitigate like costs and your risk with the hotel. So, uh, we used, um, we used Helms Briscoe, if you've heard of them. We used Kamal Dereja, who's actually a member of the society. And she worked with us to help broker. It's like, it's so Helms Briscoe is like, um, like a, like a, like a broker, but for events. So if you want to plan an event, you can work with them for free and they get paid commission by the hotel. Yeah. So like, but for corporate events, like Mm -hmm. if you wanted, so she helped us negotiate with the hotel to reduce our risk, like X amount of the thing you really have to look at is like the room block X amount of rooms that you're guaranteed to pay for Even if you, even if nobody takes them and then X amount of food and beverage minimum which you must spend in order to get your conference rooms for free. Yeah. Interesting. And plus, I guess it was probably a good time because hotels were trying to get the conference business going again. It was really good timing. Yeah. The timing was great. And so this year, what do you have, like what's going to be different this year for the (sighs) in-person? This year's hotel is no offense to last year's hotel. This year's hotel is leagues above because it's like a brand new hotel. It's like brand new. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's the Marriott downtown Austin rooftop pool, not corny tiki bar on top, like really astoundingly gorgeous venue. Mm -hmm. On top of that, we added tracks. We added tracks and we made the rooms bigger. Uh, There was a lack of field marketing track last year. And so we added a full field channel partner ABX marketing track into the conference. We read through all of the uh, reviews and the feedback from our attendees. Uh, we have a new swag policy at this year's conference. No, uh, no junky swag is allowed at the event. We're going to save the environment and make everybody have awesome swag. What do We're I do also with my going- keychain flashlight? That's no go, I guess. Eh? The keychain flashlight. The squeeze ball. Well, how many hands do you have on it? Like, can you put a sticker or something? So if you can put like, I know you're joking, but I'm <laughs> maybe or your face or something. Like, if we can yeah. put a cool like keep Austin weird sticker on it, I think it will count. But okay. yeah, so no right. junkie swag. Uh, the other thing we're doing is we're involving charity. So giving back is a huge part of, and I think that matters a lot to us. So uh, we have partnered with Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu. And while we're doing the traditional passport to prizes in our expo hall booth, we're also doing passport to charity. So if if an attendee visits and gets a stamp from every vendor in the expo hall, we're going to donate some money uh, to the Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu so they can continue their mission of helping um, uh, women and other uh, underrepresented folks in cyber get into the industry. Nice. What a great idea. Yeah. That's We're also going to do a party bus to a barbecue place. Let me throw that out there too. <laughs> All about the barbecue. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Okay. This sounds great. So what, what's the biggest takeaway that people are going to have if they elect to go to Austin? Do you think? This, so there's going to be a, so we have like 50 sessions. We've like more than, I'm pretty sure we have about or more than 50 sessions. Wow. We've got 10 workshops. So it's going to depend on the track that you choose and how you plan your day. But the biggest takeaway is that you don't need to do more with less. The theme of this year's conference is do less better. And it's all like about it. helping marketers prioritize and execute on the activities that will have impact for them and help them get there. And that's what they're hearing from above right now too, what everyone's getting. So that's going to be, I like that. Not do more with less. That sounds exhausting. No, I've been in, (laughs) exactly. We've been, you know, my co-founders, the members of the society, we have a, we have a huge volunteer committee helping plan this conference. Like we are all aligned that right now, marketing is a little bit of a grind or can be with all the rifts, all the layoffs, all the economic uncertainty. And to combat that, you must prioritize and you must look at what you're doing with like laser focus. And we want to help you get there. 
So we have sessions on channel, on content, on demand gen from the best marketers in the industry. And, and the whole point is to get together and network, meet each other and get invigorated, excited and empowered to go back to work in December or maybe in January, if you take off, if you take off like after our conference and uh, do an amazing job. Awesome. Well, we'll put a note in the, the show notes for this along with a link where you can go and register for this, but while the early bird stuff is still going on. And I think I have a, a couple of questions for you about community, if I could. Yeah. Um, I love to talk about community. Everybody. Okay. So when we started actual tech media, uh, 10 years ago, community was really hot. There was lots of venture capital flowing around in the space that we specialized in at the time, which was uh, converged infrastructure and composable infrastructure stuff and all this kind of thing. That was kind of where we started. And there was tons of VC money and there was tons of community people um, roles inside the organization. And then uh, as we got closer to say, you know, prior to COVID, and then especially when COVID hit, the community roles disappeared from a lot of our clients. And they, I think the thinking was that it was disposable, you know, to do user communities, to do that, you know, that that role was not necessary. How do you look at it? Like, obviously you're in the community business, but how do you look at vendors doing their own communities and like the value of it? Since, uh, so one note about the Cybersecurity Marketing Society is that we are an independent community. So we're not, um, the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's community is sales-free and vendor-free. We do not offer services. We're not an agency. The society operates as a trade org, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so how I view community in general to say, to, to, to just to answer your question in kind of a backwards way, like, does every company need community? Like, no. Because mm -hmm. you need to resource it and it needs to be compelling and it needs to have a reason to exist, right? Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of vendors are popping up communities with, like, not enough strategy and differentiation behind them. Like, why would you join this one versus that one? There's a, there's almost a, there's a lot of communities out there right now because community is like you said, hot. And so for vendors starting uh, communities, I mean, it's not, it's not that vendors can't make good communities is that I think they do have to work a little harder. I will also say that I do know there's of some amazing vendor communities out there. So um, it just depends on how you execute really mm -hmm. like, do you have something, do you have, is there an underserved need that you could create a community and fill a space and a place where your users can mix with non-users, right? Yeah. And share information, share intelligence, help each other. Can they get more and familiar guess, with your brand? Yeah. And I guess this is not a part, it's nobody's part-time job. It's not something that sits on the side of someone when they're not busy doing X, Y, and Z, they also run community. It just feels like that's never going to fly. Yeah. I mean, I think Reddit does that, but that's not a community. It's like, it's like its own little beast, right? People think of community and they think of Reddit, but, um, cause most of the subreddits in there are moderated by, uh, volunteers, but mm -hmm. to run like a true full-fledged community, I mean, we did it part-time like myself, Maria, Aileen, we did it part-time cause we had full-time jobs and, we were not able to dedicate a full-time resource to it, uh, you know, until January of this year. But we worked like nights and weekends and, and little cracks of, of the day. And there was three of us. Exactly. There was yeah. three of us. Great point. And like to say to a busy marketer, hey, like, okay, you do content, but now you're also going to like part-time do community. Like, I don't see how that is successful or can be successful with the amount of demands a community has communities. Once they're successful, have more demands than ever because people, yeah. people want to do like 
people want to be part of the growth of the community and they have ideas and they want things to happen and they want to do meetups and they want to do content and they have all these ideas. And then you have to be there to support all that. And if you're also tasked with like creating demand gen campaigns, like how the hell are you supposed to do that? It's a lot of work. Yeah, I know it is. I mean, I've seen companies that have done it uh, well. Um, I'm not sure where it's at these days with all the ups and downs that have gone on, but with solar winds, I always thought they did a good job with their THWAC community that they had back in the day. Um, may still be active, I'm not sure, but they they resourced the daylights out of it. They did a really good job um, back in the day. VMware did a really good job with theirs with the V Expert program and doing all. Uh, you know, community events, but that they built ambassadors into the community yeah. program. Right. And that mm-hmm. I think goes back to what you said about the Reddit piece, which is you can't do this alone. It requires an yeah. army of, of help and people are trying to do it or have tried to do it by themselves. And I think they probably didn't get very far. Exactly. And those, those user communities, cause I kind of view community broadly as including user communities and also not user communities. I mean, user communities are great. They don't even have to be huge. So maybe that's something that CS can kind of try to run with helping hands of marketing. But like you said, the ones that you saw were that were very successful were heavily resourced. Yep. I mean, think about it. If you wanted to even just do like a user event, that would cost a ton of, of, yeah, your eyebrows went up. A ton yeah. of resources, funds, time, even a virtual one, funds, time, and then trying to get to the most valuable resource of all, which is your user, your user's time, your people's time. So, and I think this sort of leads into my next question, which was how, how do you keep it positive? Because I've seen so many communities, especially in the tech world, um, they just become toxic and they become not a very, I I don't think people really are going to dedicate time to toxic spaces anymore. They just don't have, there's enough of it everywhere that they're not going to seek it out. How do you guys handle that in keeping a positive tone in your community? We put into place, so having, I'll back up, having been on Reddit, I got like the birthday reminder recently. And it's like, you've been on Reddit for like 12 years. And I was like, ew, oh my God. Um, <laughs> having been on Reddit and having having been on Twitter slash X, I think um, there's a lot of negativity that comes out of being anonymous. So one of our requirements of our community is that you must tell us who you are and what company you work with. And you must tell everyone else who you are and the company you work with. So this is a lot of manual effort because it's in Slack and we're on the free Slack and there's no admin tools in Slack, really. No community admin tools. Yeah. Um, We require every one of our members to put their first and last name and then the company they work for in their display name. So we have to follow up sometimes and remind people and and share how to do it for those who are not aware. Um, but that helps, uh, reduce negativity because everyone can tie what you say back to you and we're a professional community. So you're also on LinkedIn and we're in a community of your peers who all can see each other and the industry is small. So if you're like, you know, it's okay to be negative when you lost your job and something like that. But if you're just like a negative person or mean or saying uncouth things, Um, One, it's tied back to you as a person and people will know that and it'll reflect on your personal reputation. Two, we also moderate. We don't have to moderate things very often. Our community, again, as a professional community happens to be pretty like professional. Uh, uh, We have lots of fun. Yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) Um, But we also, we will also moderate things that are, that, um, you know, that are, uh, incorrect or rude, we will message people directly if they're breaking any of our rules. So, yeah. And then we've had to boot a few people, not for being negative, for being salesy, but. 
well, I was trying to think of what you'd be trying to sell to your peers, but I guess there's, there's always something, right? Yeah, there, there are, yeah, it's sometimes the marketer turned founder of an agency marketer turned, Mm. uh, oh, I launched an AI tool that helps you whatever. And we have to say, Mm. don't do that. Or sometimes, you know, marketer who has an event of their own or like a podcast and wants sponsorships. It's like, can't do that here. We do have a self-promotion channel now, but you're Mm -hmm. still not allowed to sell services or products in there. Sales free. Good for you. Good for you. How do you look at your podcast? What, when, you know, lots of our clients are starting podcasts and, and realize how important it is. What was the thinking behind yours? Well, it was again, well, we were, we were scouted to start our podcast by Hacker Valley Media. So we, mm-hmm. um, which is Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings, and we owe them uh, a big gracious thank you for, for launching our show and being the ones who say, hey, you guys should have a podcast. And we'd be like, what? Okay. <laughs> so we were scouted and, but we did fill a gap. So there was mm-hmm. a, there is a gap again of, of, content geared towards marketers in cyber. I said previously that like there really wasn't any like three years ago and now there's some, uh, there's mm-hmm. still not a lot of really good content. A lot of the content comes out of, um, agencies and, and, uh, people selling to marketers in mm-hmm. cyber. And we wanted to be an independent voice. And we also yep. wanted to highlight and celebrate our members. A podcast lets us shine the light on the other members of the community. Not just yeah. not just us, but it lets us show, share, and showcase the brilliant people that we have in the cybersecurity marketing society. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I like one of the you know we've just recently gotten started with our series at actual at actual tech. But one of the things that I love about it is you get to talk to smart people about things that I interest know. you. And that isn't it know, fun. It's so great. Yeah, like today. <laughs> I, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. You learned about a movie well, that, that you're going to go did. put on your Netflix list. Yeah. <laughs> Watching for yeah, it's, yeah, it's so, it's so, it's like, we'll talk to, it's like getting like a little like class every time. It's like, oh, wow. I like learned something yeah. from, it's like, it's like um, going to school. It's like, oh, I have an hour of like being told by a brilliant person about something they know deeply about. Where else mm-hmm. do I get to do this? <laughs> no, I know. And two, everybody's like the, the cost of doing it has is, is come down a lot. And I think it's a lot more accessible for people to talk to other interesting people and create some great content. But yeah. Um, so here, here, as we wrap up, one of the, the questions I always like to ask people is what should we ask you that nobody usually asks you when you're on podcasts and you're being interviewed? What should they... What's something that you wish people would ask because it's important? Oh, I don't have I an answer to that. I didn't prep you on this at all. I know. Ah, oh, that's okay. We throw you for a loop on our show. So I think we, I think, I, I think that's the fun of going on podcasts is at the end, either they're going to ask you about a book that you haven't read. So you have to make one up really fast. Um, <laughs> or- Goes to Amazon, checks notes. Yeah, like uh, how to, how to win friends and influence with people. You know, you just pick one, like a fail, or what's that one? Um, nudge. I don't know. You pick a hot business trending book and you make some of some bullsh- bull about why <laughs> it's like what you're reading. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I don't know, Jordy. What would you say if I asked you that question? And I'm gonna riff off of that. Really flip it around. I didn't expect that. I think, I think one of the things that, that, that people don't ask enough of is what is the one thing that you would double down on in what you've learned in the last four or five years, right? So for me, the one thing that I would, would double down on is what we're doing right now is podcast. I wish that we had started Ooh. sooner. I wish that, um, we had had more of these conversations, uh, in years gone by, especially as we were getting actual tech media started, I think it would have helped a lot. Um, so that's something, what, what about you? What would you double down on, on that you've learned over the last few years? Shipping, shipping, launching, shipping, incessant, constant 
shipping. And um, I mean, that's kind of how the society started and how we kind of do everything, everything, not everything, right? There's thought into what we do. There's a lot of thought into what we do. Let me not like say, oh, we just like randomly like do a bunch of garbage. No, no, no. There's a lot of thought. But uh, the society launched in one week, like a full like community. Like we built, I built the website in, I think it took 30 hours. Like I just did it in like a week. And I think that shipping quickly and doing is, the answer to a lot of problems. Yep. And it's what I, I wish I could do more of. And I'm, I'm, I'm bumping up against that. Like, you know, there's so many hours in a day <laughs> thing. No, but that's I what I would you. always, I would always double down on that. If I could, if I could double down on this any more than I have, which I'm working on, like through we're hiring contractors and um, trying to use more like automation to sort of make things that can be automatable, automatable, you know, in the operation mm-hmm. side of the house. Like if I could ship more, that's, if I could double what I, what I put into the world from the society, that would be the most, the best thing that we could do. That's really cool. I, I think that's why you guys have been so successful is because you have a bias towards action. You get stuff done. And when you look at what the volume of, of content and promotion and all that kind of thing that is coming out of your little organization. It's amazing. So kudos to you. And I think that we can see that that shipping, I was like shipping like containers or no. no. <laughs> oh, Features, shipping and containers. Done. Yeah. I love the shipping and logistics industry. Just an aside. I think it's so cool. Like remember the Suez canal and how that one boat got stuck and it like ruined the global economy for like a small amount of time. Yeah. That was a bad week for me. I backed it in sideways and didn't, didn't go well. <laughs> you need, you need that. Um, what's there's like a feature on cars now where it, like you press a button and it'll like parallel park for you. Right. Is that a thing? Yeah. yeah I yeah. imagine they have that for ships too. I would hope. Yeah. Didn't work. But, no, but, no, but yeah, no shipping, getting things done. I think it's impressive what you guys have done. And I would highly recommend for everybody, uh, if you get a chance, if you can make an investment in your career and yourself, uh, come out to Austin, see us in Austin and enjoy the program uh, at the Cyber Marketing Conference. It'll be well worth your while. So thank you so much, Gianna. We appreciate your time today and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. That's it for Tech Marketer Live. Bye, everybody. Bye.